Hey everyone, thank you for joining me again on the BIPOC Outside Podcast. I'm Chris Cronwell, and today we're sitting down with Jalen Bazell. Jalen is a professional outdoorsman and outdoor educator, a cycling advocate, a member of the Black Foxes, and a founder of the newly launched Travel Wide. So let's get into it, shall we? But before we get into it, of course, as you know, this show doesn't happen without our title sponsor, Narco Dirt Series. The Dirt Series hosts weekend-long mountain bike camps throughout Canada and the U.S. in some of the most exceptional ride locations. Whether you're a new rider or wanting to advance your skills, the Dirt Series offers gender-specific, co-ed, and youth-focused camps. Check them out at dirtseries.com or find their partner link on our website. Jalen, good morning. How are you? Oh my, I'm so well. I'm so well. How are you doing, Chris? I am doing amazing. I'm I'm so thankful that you're here. So let's jump right into it. You are in Colorado now, but like, tell me where you grew up and where you got your start in the outdoors. Yeah. So quick revision. I'm in Northwest Arkansas as of the start of the year. Oh. (laughs) So I've been in Colorado for the last like decade, but recently because of all the like bike stuff happening in Northwest Arkansas, I am here kind of like taking advantage of that. Um, Awesome. Yeah, awesome. yeah. I had no idea. So you're down there with Rachel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I bounce to Colorado at least once a month. So I'm up there all the time. Yeah. But yeah, you asked how I got my start in the outdoors or biking or... Yeah, both. Yeah, yeah. Let's see. I So with biking, I have been commuting by bike since I was a teenager and then all through college. I didn't get my first car until... I was 26 and then as soon as I got it, I was like, please get rid of this thing. So the idea of like biking with, you know, with a bunch of stuff, like always having a loaded bike has been a really normal thing for me. And it's always been this kind of win throughout my day to get out and ride my bike and kind of like be in nature, you know, no matter if it's like raining or windy or complete sunshine. So that's been a love of mine. And then the outdoors came about through college when I started working at a summer camp and outdoor education center and realized that this was an option. I like had never been to Colorado or like in the mountains, or I didn't even know the outdoor industry was a thing. So I really just dove in and started working at this camp and outdoor ed center full time and year round. And that, you know, years later, after like a couple big, big bike trips and kind of working at a variety of outdoor organizations, I realized like, hey, I'm kind of one of the few, you know, black outdoor professionals that are in this space, facilitating, leading, kind of community organizing. And so that's kind of how it came about. Nice. So you just got back from the West Fjords Way Challenge. For those who don't know, this is a five-day, 595 mile. Is that right? Yeah, something like that. Cycle around Iceland. Tell me everything. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my gosh. That was an incredible experience. It was the first time I have to start by saying it was the first time that I had ever been overseas. I've been to Mexico and Canada via bike. So it was proper that I went overseas to ride my bike. And it was the first time going to Europe and I didn't even know Iceland was a part of Europe or, you know, however that shakes out. But so it was, it was this very like wanderlust kind of like novel experience for me. And the ride was absolutely phenomenal. Minus the like 30, occasional 30, 40, 50 mile an hour headwind. But it was, it was amazing. The volcanic island of Iceland 
has a lot of these black sand beaches and kind of shaley volcanic earth and the vegetation is, they get so much rain. It's just like, you know, it's marvelous riding through that area and there's water everywhere. There's like probably 10,000 waterfalls. So the ride itself was, or the landscape was amazing. The ride was quite challenging because the West Fjords are a Northwest region of Iceland and quite remote and there's very few roads and the villages that kind of exist between the roads are the only resupply points that exist. And so we are riding about 150 miles a day and I hadn't really been training just because of, you know, the state of the world and I'm launching a company and, you know, being an entrepreneur, et cetera. But I, yeah, so I hadn't really been training and my bike fit was really poor. So I started having some serious pain, like just incrementally worsening throughout the ride. Until day three, I actually had to stop riding because my knees, I kept hearing this like snapping, popping sound. But other than that, I want to say it was, it was an incredible experience. The, it was an inaugural ride or race and they, the organizers did an amazing job having cultural connections, which were these places that we got to engage with either the culture or the land or the community, the people there. and. We would go to these waffle houses or like coffee houses and they were supposed to be like, they were meant to be these like, oh, you could stop and have a, you know, little snack and keep going. They ended up becoming like survival stops. It was like, okay, is the coffee house going to be open? Because like, I don't have any food or, you know, so that was kind of wild. All of us just kind of deranged was coming into these small towns, but yeah, it was, it was absolutely insane. That sounds so incredible. And uh, one of the things that I loved about the way that they put this race together was how they braided in all of the cultural elements. <laughs> yeah. And that, that's what I was most excited for. Being one of the BIPOC, Black, Indigenous, People of Color scholarship recipients, I really wanted to know what the culture and people and kind of like, you know, the history of the place. And so like the biking history, I found really interesting you know it's like this island that was kind of like taken over by by vikings back in the day which i kind of learned a little bit about and yeah and then the way that the people there subside off of the land is is so unique and you know it's like the sun rarely goes down in northern iceland so they are like growing you know burnt food all all year round and it's just it's so cool yeah i was i was really impressed yeah. How did you, how did you do with the near 24 hour daylight? I spent five years north of 60 and that's a, that's a trip. <laughs> it, yeah. It was mind boggling. I, I kept, I kept not knowing what time it was. And then when, you know, riding a bike all day, it's like, I lose track of time anyways, but yeah, it was really perplexing. I got there at 6am, which was like close to, was, which was like midnight my time in the States. And so I decided, okay. You know, I'd never traveled that far. So I was like, I'll just stay up as long as I can to try and beat back the jet lag and then sleep. And I realized it was like the, that day when I got in at 6 a.m., it became like 11 p.m. And I was like, wait, there's no like, there's no like, not, you know, nocturnal clock that's going to like, you know, signal to me that it's time to go to bed. I just need to go like blackout curtains or, or you know, bury myself in my sleeping bag. Yeah. So that was kind of wild. For it was nice writing notes, so we didn't have to worry about like it getting dark. Yeah, yeah. 
That's amazing. Where I lived up north, there wasn't biking opportunities, really. Yeah, I can't imagine that would be really incredible. Ah, that just sounds so awesome. Um, so, I mean, beyond this, like, incredible European adventure, tell me one of your favorite trail stories. Oh, okay. That is an easy one. for One of my favorite trail stories. Oh, actually, it's not that easy. But the one that comes to mind is in 2019, or sorry, 2020. There was a bike puck group that met in Crested Butte, and I was the main organizer of this. There was a lot of us that were friends online. I'm thinking of people that you may know, like Brooke Gowdy, Aisha McGowan, like several of the Black Boxes, Tracy Brown, who runs All Mountain Brothers, and many more. We were all kind of like, yo, we should do a meetup. Like, you know, where should we go? And I was like, let's go to Crested Butte. So that year, I believe this happened in the fall, we all got together. And when we first went on that, that initial ride, funny thing, I had... What happened? I think I'd injured my shoulder or something, so I couldn't mountain bike. So I was actually trail running along with everybody mountain biking. And they were just like, who are, <laughs> who is this person? You know, it was like first time we were being, and we were going, you know, we weren't like, nobody was racing. So it wasn't, it wasn't so bad for me to run, but just seeing every, like so many black and brown riders and these people who like each of us looked up to, to the one and the, you know, to everybody so much and, and kind of had this idea of who they were via internet and it was the first time we were meeting so when we we're on the trail that first day and we we're all just like kind of ripping after one another and oh my gosh it was like it was like harmony you know it was like all the stars just aligned and it was a be beautiful day like i think we rode into the night like we didn't get back home until the night and we just every little stop to kind of group up we would like start cracking up and like There'd be like cackling going on or just, oh, it was so, so good. That was probably one of my favorite stories. <laughs> that sounds like such a great time. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. I, you know, I get it. I've had that opportunity with the show meeting people that I, you know, I've looked up to and we've chatted back and forth a little bit on the internet, but it's, I, this doesn't meet, you know, Zoom meetings don't match up with in-person meetings, but it's just so incredible to meet people in the space. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I really agree. Yeah. Great. Great question. I have, I have others. Yeah. I have others if you'd like me to share for sure. I would, I would like you to share. Yeah. Okay. So another one is I have ridden the Baja divide, which is a mostly dirt route that, that travels the Baja peninsula north to south or south to north. And there was this really remote, one of the most remote sections is when you're not traversing from the Pacific ocean to the Sea of Cortez. And once you get to the Sea of Cortez, it's kind of just like a, a empty beach. But I got there and there, I had heard there was like this rumor that there was this guy that you could go to who lived in an off-grid shelter right off the side of the beach. And he was like the friendliest person. And you just kind of go like, see if he's there and he'll like, you know, welcome you if you need anything, he'll pump you out. So... Me and two other riders who are riding together, we are traveling along this remote beach and all of a sudden we see these like shipping containers kind of stacked together. And so we go, we ride up and it's like clearly somebody lives here. Really like a lot of ingenuity to build this kind of off-grid shelter. And we knock on like the shipping container and this guy, very like much older, like senior guy, but 
you know, strong, like kind of like, kind of like, wow, this man has so much wisdom, like has lived, you know, a thousand lifetimes. He walks out without a shirt on. His name's Poncho. He's like, oh, I'm Poncho. And he's speaking in Spanish. And, you, you know, he's like, oh, do you, you know, do you want a cerveza? Do you want a cerveza? And immediately hands us a couple beers and then just starts talking about like, this is his beach and this is his home. And it was like one of the most humble, like, I don't know, one of the most grounding experiences of my life. Just be like, this is how this man lives. And there's people that, that are from the towns who come in and give him resupply like every like once a month or something and just his hospitality and like he like kind of helped us set up camp yeah i actually named ended up naming my bike after him after that i was like his name was poncho yeah yeah i know so that was, all, that was one of my favorite experiences that sounds incredible you talk about like grounding and like being in space a lot in your work in your guiding and you've talked about sort of bike packing as a path to healing. Tell me about mm-hmm. that. Yeah, I really believe in the natural world. I believe in the interconnectedness of the natural world and the power of the natural world to help us connect with ourselves. And through bike packing, I have found that I found a few things. One, it's it's really fun. It it brings out the childlike self. I think in a lot of people, it's very hard to not just break out into laughter or joy when you know riding downhill on a bike you may be like kind of cursing yourself going uphill but going downhill much different story i think also it has been the number one thing that has given my sense of place on on the earth growing up i went to 12 different schools from first grade to 12th grade i just moved around a lot and a lot of it due just because of like household instability growing up and so when I started biking, it was like, oh, this is where I feel home. And anytime I moved to a new place, the way I got familiar with that area was via bike. I would go and kind of see, you know, how can I get around? What's the vibe? What's the culture? What's the tone of the city or town? And so that way of going up every descent or, or up every ascent, down every hill, kind of like being on the bike, not just blowing past, but the, the speed at which I am moving on a bicycle has really grounded me in a place. And then I think the last one is also this liberating feeling of movement. I think so much of our movement is policed right in this, in the United States. And we are constantly being restricted to, to move, whether that be access to trails or access to even like the green spaces that are you know, are taken from, from our communities or are strategically not placed there. And so when I'm on a bike, it's like, oh, I am moving under my own power. I, you know, I have control now, which growing up, you know, wasn't something I had a lot of. So I think bike packing, you know, coupling that, that process of riding a bike with going to a place, camping out overnight, really being immersed, you know, being a guest to that land and, and kind of just continuing on, whether it's for a day, you know, just down the street from my house, just sleeping under the stars or, you know, some like long expedition. I really, yeah, really feel grounded in that healing process, I think really takes effect. You've, you said before, you like to educate back to our, like our urban community members that like a bike is a way to break away from your urban space. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. And that is how I have used it the most in my life, either, com- you know, via community, but also 
just being able to like go find the green spaces because I just have always had an attraction to those spaces. And so, you know, public transit as a kid that wasn't accessible or as a teenager, just in some of the places that I've lived and then not having a car. And so being able to hop on a bike and be like, no, I want to go here and using my own like kind of human power to get me there. Yeah. I think, I think the bike has been a great tool for that, at least for me, you know, I know it. I know it doesn't resonate with everybody, but I really find it to be one of the most useful and impactful things that have come into my life. You said sleeping under the stars. And in a previous interview, someone had asked you, what's one thing everyone has to do? And you had said, sleep alone under the stars. Tell me about that. Yeah. Oh man, what interview was that? That was really good. Let's see. When I first slept under the, like, I went camping as a teenager, but when I moved out to Colorado and like really took in the night sky from just from a higher elevation and lower light pollution. I was reconnected or I, I guess I'd like discovered this thing that was, that is quite known, but it's like, oh, wow, we are such a small piece in a very large universe. And so I think having opportunities to step into that interconnectedness, you know, to like kind of be reminded like, hey, I am a part of something much larger. And those stars that I see out there are made up of the same stuff that I am. And I am made up of the same stuff as them. And also being alone, like being solo sleeping out is frightening. I have to say the first time I bike packed, I was terrified. Like every twitch in the night, I would like wake up and kind of freak out. So I really hear you. And that doesn't ever go away. I think it just, we get more used to it. It's kind of almost like desensitized, but Anyways, I, I think sleeping alone under the stars is really empowering and impactful because we're left with ourselves. It's you and the night sky and, you know, whatever land you're a guest to. And we really get to like hear our own thoughts, feel our own feelings. And I think in this like crazy, busy tech world, you know, it's like, it's hard sometimes to silence the world, but when we're alone outside at night, just under the stars, I feel like that is when we like kind of connect back to ourselves. I like how you said land that we're a guest to. And, and one of the things that I really love about your Instagram is how intentional you are about identifying whose land you're recreating on. So where did you sort of, you know, when did you start doing that? What was the impetus for doing that? Because a lot of folks outside of the Indigenous community don't have that knowledge and that education. Yeah. Well, I want to say that I started doing it very wrongly <laughs> to, to be totally transparent, working at an outdoor education center in Colorado, you know, the, the norm right now and kind of the, the industry right now is very stuck on appropriating indigenous culture and communities. And so I think teaching about the, where I was about the youth culture and people in a very appropriated, incorrect way, like harmful way was a real eye opener to me. And so I, I had to do that, my own personal work of like kind of dismantling my own colonizer views of like what it means to view, you know, these people who are here. And so when, and then also making relationships has been the biggest thing. My indigenous friends have been the. I don't, you know, it's like, I, I get to learn from their experience and, and hear from them what their experience is like, what life is like. And so I have just tried to do my best or 
at least do what I know is right as far as acknowledging whose land this is, doing my own history to wherever I am. And when I walk into a town now, particularly in the mountains, it's like, oh, this was somebody's home here. Like this, you know, one thing it's like some of our highways, particularly in Colorado, were indigenous seasonal trails that they would use. And so it's like, we don't even realize when we're getting to these places, we are essentially stepping on that history and, and that history is covered up. And so it's really important to me to, you know, as like an outdoor educator, outdoor professional to do as much as I can to like, you know, it's like the goal is land is to get land back is to, is to honor the, the original stewards and present day stewards of these lands. So yeah, I think, I, I think the least we can do is that is, is give an acknowledgement of whose land this is. Yeah, totally. Here in Alberta, the the main three highways, the main three passes to go across the Rockies were the same thing, seasonal trails for the local indigenous nations to go, you know, for trading and hunting. And yeah, you're the first person that's ever really articulated that on the show, but it's, it's absolutely true. And I feel like it's true beyond just the Rocky Mountain regions. Agree. Yeah. And being in, I'm in Northwest Arkansas now, which is the ancestral and present lands of the Cado, Guapa, and Osage. And then with the, the trail of tears comes through, like, like right outside my window, you know, it's like the, the Cherokee and there's so many nations out there like through this land. So yeah, you know, there's a lot there. It's like, okay, how do I do this work about their educating? But also I think the most important thing is, is, you know, I learned this thing from Rube Mack, the founder of Outdoor Afro, that everything moves at the speed of relationships. And so it's like, okay, what relationships can I make when doing this work so that I'm not, you know, giving my interpretation of something, but it can be, it can kind of be from the source. Like they, like those nations of people can be looped into what's happening today. And those opportunities can kind of be extended and like the door is, is my strategy. That's a really beautiful approach. Thank you. Thank for you. Sharing that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you bet. Okay. I hear this a lot. I know what it means. Tell my listeners what type two fun is. Oh, type two fun. We've all experienced it. Type two fun is where in the moment it is not fun whatsoever. You're likely pissed you are not having a good time say you you know are walking home and got caught in a thunderstorm and you're soaking wet and your laptop's in your bag and you're like freaking out that's type two fun but after the fact you look back and are like okay that was that was kind of a relief like we got through that like you know you kind of laugh about it later that is what type two fun is (laughs) i i come from the ski world and i came to the bike world because i needed something to do when i was stuck in the city Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I didn't realize that that, you know, type one and type two fun translated across to the bike world. I was like, oh, I know what that be. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And then type three fun, which is like, it was never fun to begin with. <laughs> yeah. So in 2020, you became a member of the Black Foxes, a group with one of, I think, the best manifestos in the game. So, and one of the things that is so important to this group is reclaiming narratives. Tell me about that. Yeah, absolutely. So the Black Fox says, yeah, we got together. We started getting together in 2019. And then because of the pause in the world that happened, we launched We launched on Juneteenth in 2020. And we, it was really important to us that we created a platform 
an avenue for controlling our own narratives, for, for just telling our own stories, because so many things that were happening at that time and now today, things are kind of backpedaling. Our stories were being told for us and not in the best light. And, and we know this as black people, it's like that pop culture was founded on the appropriation of, of the black experience. And so it was really important to us that we could kind of like combine resources. We could pull people together. We could have meaningful partnerships with, with brands and companies and like create these relationships in which we are able to now tell our own stories and also create pathways for other people to tell theirs. And, and that, and it doesn't just stop and end with the, with the narratives. It's also creating pathways for opportunities, you know, like what uh, this is, is it the black foxes, but what Aisha is doing with a quick brown fox and the abundance summit, you know, like really opening up the doors and leaving them open so that there could be more of us in cycling, in the outdoors. Uh, like getting some of these opportunities that just have not been open for us or, or have been kept from us. So Black Fox is really, yeah, we're really committed to, to making sure that those things are, are happening. I love that. In the manifesto, you address bad representation and the white savior complex. So tell, tell me about what you're actively combating. Oh gosh, let's see, where do I start? With bad representation and white savior complex, in the cycling industry in particular, there's this narrative that is, that has been very prevalent. And that is that, you know, black people are poor and we need help. And, you know, the only time that we are either on screen or, or have a microphone is when we're asking for some type of charity, or there's a white figure who is, who is like lending a hand that may be true, like a fraction of the time where yes, we do need support, just like everybody needs support. The, you know, nine other times out of 10, we have, a, you know, our experience on this planet is much more than just needing help and is much more than, you know, some charity case. So combating that is kind of taking that microphone and controlling the, the, the lens from behind the lens and in front of the lens and saying, no, this is who we are and this is what we need. Like, yeah, we deserve resources, the same resources that everybody else is getting. And we don't need some, you know, tag, you know, like tag on that being like, this is, this is for charity. And we're seeing right now how, you know, those budgets and those allotments for the, the ones that were drawn up in 2020 are now starting to go away because it's like, oh, well, we've done that work now, you know, you've gotten your, and so yeah, we're, we're continuing to, to just like write our narratives. I actually just finished a film project talking about masculinity, and kind of the state of the world, we, it, it, you know, and, and, and TBF will be a part of that launch here pretty soon where it's like, yo, there's this backpedaling that's going on, you know, and it's like white people want to show up when they can be the savior, but they don't just want to be an ally or a comrade. So yeah, that's probably a long answer to a short question. No, it's a great answer to a short question. And it, when I sat down and read the manifesto for the first time, it spoke to me so much. And I, you know, that's sort of the same approach with this show. This isn't a pain podcast and mm -hmm. I'm not looking to mine anybody's trauma. And I think that what is not told enough is yes, BIPOC communities do experience economic marginality at a higher rate than non-BIPOC communities. And there are systemic reasons for that, but also 
The other side of that coin is there are resources and expertise within BIPOC community. Yeah, absolutely. Tech tenfold. I mean, we founded this nation. <laughs> Let's not forget it. <laughs> it's interesting that you brought up the, the talk on positive masculinity, because that was actually my next question. Oh, sweet. Okay. <laughs> so tell me what positive masculinity means to you. Tell me what you're trying to educate our young men about. Yeah, yeah. Positive masculinity means living wholly or wholehearted. And I borrow this from a researcher, Brene Brown, where wholeheartedness is this act of living into your values. We have these things called aspiring values, which are, you know, oh, I, I want to be a reliable person or, but the, our actions sometimes or not. So it's like divesting from patriarchal oppressive systems that really oppress men quite a bit, as well as the rest of us. And I really want to educate young men as well as, and, and masculine identifying people, as well as just everybody. You know, I think some of, I've had students in the past who were much older than me on how we can do that and how we can use the natural world to really lean into who we are and, and to, especially for men feel our feelings and give language to those feelings because at a young age, we were, a lot of us were taken those opportunities to practice articulating what we feel those opportunities were taken from us. So I think meeting in natural spaces and talking about that and kind of like doing that work is really important to me. And I feel quite passionate about it, which is really unique because I grew up with a single mom and two sisters. And so, you know, I had to kind of figure this manhood stuff out and I'm still figuring it out a lot on my own. And so I've like really leaned into my, like, I don't know, masculine community. So yeah, that, that's kind of like, and it just what I feel about that. <laughs> that's awesome. And I, I don't think that people realize that, you know, patriarchal systems and toxic masculinity have the same negative effects to men as they do to everyone else. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I want to be careful saying that, right? Because I don't want to say, oh, I don't want to get in this comparison thing, but to focus on the, like us as men, our experience, we endure a lot of harm from a very young age to we pass on and we don't talk about it. We don't process it. We don't work through that. We don't come together. And what that ends up doing is, you know, it, it comes out always, but you know, the kind of the body keeps score sort of, sort of thing. And it ends up affecting everybody around us, which is the world we live in literally. And so the need for us to have safe spaces, to lean into that and talk about that and do that work and to truly learn those skills in a safe way, I think is so great because while the rest of the world is doing a lot of empowerment for FTWNB, you know, it's like, that is amazing. And we're not going to get too, too far if we don't have men standing alongside everybody else doing that work. And so, yeah, the need is great. And I really see the natural world playing a role in, in us, you know, making progress there. Yeah. And it's, it's not a comparative thing. It's, it's a fact that if the entire community doesn't heal, then the community can't heal. Right. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Sort of switching gears. You said you're an entrepreneur. You've got a company coming online shortly looking at, you know, inclusive education in the bike packing space. Tell me, tell me what's coming up. 
Yeah. So I am creating a bikepacking outfitter that is offering inclusive outdoor education, leadership, and adventure to participants in right now, Colorado and Northwest Arkansas. And so it's been, I, I have loved my time bikepacking and I don't want all of that experience and knowledge to stay with me. And as an outdoor educator, I would like to continue that career. So I've worked for a variety of outdoor nonprofits and, and youth organizations that have always had this kind of like, you know, white savior or, or yeah, like complex to them. And I see this need for us to have our own organizations that are founded by us, you know, that have racial equity and gender expansiveness kind of worked into the foundation that are really serving us that are, you know, are not perpetuating this conquest culture, but instead utilizing the natural world to, to help us develop ourselves. And so I am workshopping, kind of going to be piloting some programs this fall on what bikepacking, you know, what the intersection of intra interpersonal healing, bikepacking, outdoor education look like. My company is called Travel Wide, uh, without the vowels, T-R-V-L wide. And we, yeah, I. I'm in the throes of entrepreneurship, so, you know, it's up and down always, but I'm really excited to, to be having a outdoor leadership and outdoor education model that, that serves us. And I'm excited to collaborate with folks and yeah, September, let's see, I believe the second weekend in September and fourth weekend of September, I'm going to be piloting some overnights and courses. So those will be coming out literally next week. What is your bike packing setup? It depends. Let's see. For gravel riding, it when you say setup, are you asking what are you asking specifically? Sorry. I'm asking like about how are you putting all of your things on a bike? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. So this has been a long crafting of like trial and error. I now have a very small sleeping bag. I like to sleep in tarps. So that also kind of fits in my handlebar role. I have a jet boil stash stove, which is kind of like a, the like all inclusive stove. We have the same base layers and, and kind of sleep layers I've had since I was like 20 years old and they still work. So that all goes to my seat pack. And then I, then the rest of the space is for like med kit, food, water repair kit, kind of like strewn across the bike however I can fit it. <laughs> so in my home city here in Edmonton we have a huge bike culture which is kind of wild given how far north we are and how long our winter lasts and <laughs> and I see people you know just sort of going okay I'm really comfortable here I want to take that next step I'm gonna you know bike out to a campground 20 miles away and just spend the night like real easy you know if, if worse comes to worse, I can call a cab, but I'm going to try it. So what's <laughs> the like one piece of advice you would give to someone just like sticking their toe in the water? Yeah. What piece of advice? I would say, you know, go with what you have and it doesn't need to be some big grand thing. There is so much valuable information and experience in doing what exactly what you just described, going a reasonable distance away from home. And just sleeping outside, waking up, you know, having breakfast, coming back home, uh, or like taking a longer day ride and coming back home. 
that experience will teach you so much and will work out so many kinks before you plan some grand adventure. You really want those smaller, shorter trips to kind of like learn and, and kind of like go through that break-in phase of, of like what not to do, uh, versus what I did, which I went on one bike pack before I took off on the great divide and I had to get rid of a lot of things because I brought way too much. Some of my favorite books I had to get rid of. <laughs> so <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I watched the 50 project and I appreciate that, you know, everybody's got, I think it's a Kindle. I'm like, oh yeah, that, that makes more sense than everything that I've ever done. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. And uh, a tablet can can be a Kindle and like a journal because I'm, I'm a journaler. So that has helped as well. Yeah. So going back a number of years, you were one of the sort of minds behind what is now Cruxing in Color, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I really love that they have like sort of a holistic focus to breaking down barriers, whether it's education or cultural or economic. And this is all in the front range for listeners and you'll find the link to them. But tell me, tell me about sort of the impetus for that, because you are multi-sport, like this is all about climbing. Yeah, absolutely. So when I was running it, it was called Melanin Climbers of Color. And it started as a, so I was working in a climbing gym and I was, or I am like a rock instructor and kind of like have been taking people out climbing. And I just was like, I, we need, oh, okay. You know what it was? The impetus was Color the Crag. That's what it was. Color the Crag in 2019, the last year that they ran. I went to Colorado Craig and I got back and I was like, I, we have to do this. Like, I don't know why Colorado doesn't have this. Even though Brown Girls Climb is founded in Colorado, we did have like a local affinity space. And so I created Melanin Climbers of Color and we started running events in the gym in, in just one gym, I believe. And then once 2020 hit, I ended up leaving the gym and kind of that's when, you know, a lot of the Black Foxes things and cycling, I was like, oh, I can make cycling and things. That's been my true love. And so I handed that off to the or current organizer, Shara and Manisha and Enrique. And then they really took off with kind of making the, the relationships. They rebranded it as Crux and Color, making the different gym relationships, starting the scholarship, kind of getting some support with that. And now it's, now it's like really taken off. Amazing. Amazing. Something that I saw recently, I, you know, sort of, I probably preparing for the show because I'm always sort of flipping through Instagram. I'm going to be honest. I don't necessarily read all the captions for everybody's stuff. Right. But I'm always looking at the photos and like just being stoked. And a photo that you posted the other day, I was really interested in it. I dug in and the caption was, if only my younger self could see me. <laughs> so why? What do you want your younger self to know? Yeah, gosh, I, <laughs> I want my younger self to know like, yo, it's all going to be all right. You know, the, the name of my company is called Trouble Wide. And I got that, that name from Bob Marley first, where he says, if you're not living good, travel wide. And so that was that song, it's called Soul Rebel. And that verse in particular was very encouraging for me to go off and do some of the bigger bike rides that I've done or, or bigger, like goals that I've had, like starting a company or moving to a new state or kind of switching up my career path a little bit. And I wish I could, I wish if my younger self could see he just a glimpse, I think he would, 
he would kind of stress a little less. <laughs> he would not be so hyper vigilant about planning for the future and would just like be a little bit more in the moment because, you know, five years ago, I asked myself, how can I just ride my bike and make it work? Like I want to ride, like that's what I want to do. And I remember seeing, I've never been into the like Tour de France or those, that type of professional cyclist. But I remember seeing people like Lael Wilcox and how she was just able to go ride her bike all over the world. And I was like, how do I do that? And now that is quite the reality for me. And so, yeah, if I could have my younger self take a glimpse, I think it would be very grounding. It would be, okay, I am where I'm supposed to be. Just keep doing your thing. You've, you know, through the Black Foxes, through your outdoor education, you've put together like a lot of edits that are out and you've had an opportunity to talk about a lot of really cool things. What's something that you've always wanted to talk about, but you haven't had the opportunity? Oh, I think that I haven't had the opportunity. That's a great question. I have always wanted to share my story a bit more. Like, I think I've shared a lot of my career story when I started all of the outdoor stuff. Because that's very, that's very like novel and kind of exciting. But I think I've always wanted to share the parts of growing up that were, that, that were very key in who I have become. Like I, I would say I'm not, you know, I'm not a stereotypical like, like bro or dude. I, you know, I just am very sensitive. I'm very like kind of gentle. And, and I think I wanted to talk about, you know, how that has come to be for me, but have not found the right, either the right words or the right kind of like avenue for, for discussing that. So that's definitely like percolating. And with this recent project, I have gone a little deeper, but I foresee that in my future to like start really talking about, okay, how did, how, how have I come to this point? Yeah. Well, I'll be interested to see that when it comes, when it comes out. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> So after an epic trip like West Fjord's Way, what's next? You've got, you know, company launch coming up in September. Mm-hmm. What's, what's the future look like? Yeah, it looks very optimistic from my vantage point. Yeah, I, what does the future look like? So have this launch where I'm going to be quite busy with just kind of like initial navigate, you know, taking an idea to action. I have this project that I'm going to be premiering in September as well that I'll kind of go here and here with my launch. The Black Foxes are planning to meet up again, this time internationally. And then we will be doing that towards the end of October. So that is going to be another overseas trip for me, which I'm definitely going to take full advantage of. It may include embarking on a train, on a solo trip to go bike pack somewhere far off in Europe. Yeah. And then I think just a lot of, you know, so one thing that I actually, I don't think a lot of people know about me is that I am not a winter person. I've tried, I know how to ski. I love skiing, but about this time, I always start getting kind of the heebie-jeebies about winter approaching. It's like winter is coming, you know? So I do a lot of like kind of grounding work and like setting up my routine very far in advance and making sure I have goals within the winter to look forward to. So I'm actually taking a bike mechanic course, a two week long master mechanic course, so that through the winter I can work as, as a bike mechanic. 
because it's always been my dream to work in a bike shop. I just have never really done it. So through the winter, I will be kind of just like wrenching on bikes, which I can, I will do for hours and hours and hours already. So to go get paid for that would be amazing. And I think it'll be like a good hobby throughout the hobby and kind of like work throughout the winter. So that's, that's like what's on the horizon. That sounds awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. So where do our listeners find you? You know, tell me all the links, tell me all the stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So the easiest and the one I'm most responsive to is my Instagram, Jalen Bazil, or at Jalen Bazil. I've been thinking about switching it back to Brother Jalen because I really love that IG handle. But anyway, it's Jalen Bazil. And then my website is travelwide.com, T-R-V-L-Y.com. If you go to it at this moment, it is not launched, but by the end of by the end of next week, it will be live. So travelwide.com and Jalen Bazil, I think, are the easiest. You can also ping me on the black foxes instagram or website and then also i am mostly found on the trails almost every day i try and go for a ride actually there's a woman locally her name's gina she rides every single she's ridden every single day since 2018 so i am trying to she like those are my goals i'm like all right if i can just take a stroll every day and you know it's not all like epic ride every day i'm probably like going to the grocery store or something is totally counts. So I'm also on the trails here in Bentonville as well as in Colorado. So that is where you can find me. Amazing. Listeners, you're going to be able to find all of those links and links to a number of the things that we talked about in the show notes for this episode. Jalen, this has been a great time. Thank you so (laughs) so much. Yeah. Thank you, Chris. I really love what you're doing. And yeah, please. I cannot wait to listen to every single episode. These are These are so, so good. So I really appreciate the work you're doing. Oh, thank you. (laughs) And that is it for this episode. Links on where to find Jalen, the Black Foxes, Travel Wide, and all the things we talked about are available in the show notes at BIPOCoutside.com. Listeners, I could really use your help. We're in the planning stages for the next season. So if you like what we're doing or you have suggestions on where we could improve, send us a comment anywhere you get podcasts. We hope to see you again on BIPOC Outside.